0: Hello and welcome to today's Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today we have Australian comedy icon Sammy J. And then, after that, I'm joined by Adelaide Monopoly's Matt Chan. Now, for those of you that don't know... Earlier this week, on the 28th of October, the company Winning Moves, an arm of the larger company Hasbro, released Adelaide Monopoly, which is uh, very much like the classic board game, which is a favourite all around the world, except this version has been specifically made to incorporate Adelaide places and icons, and it is the first of its kind for for a city like Adelaide. You get to hear what Matt Chan has to say about that later on. But first, as I mentioned, I'm joined by Sammy Jay. Now, as most of my long-time listeners would know, that my interviews usually start with welcome to the show and then the questions. But um, I always have a chat with my guests before welcoming them to the show, and Sammy Jay thought you might like to hear our chat uh, prior to the interview, so it does have a bit of an unusual start. But otherwise, enjoy.
1: Very well, Sammy here. Good morning.
0: Yes, good morning to you too.
1: My gosh. 8.30? I'm 32,
0: actually. Sorry I'm late. Well, that's right. It's 8am here, so it's even earlier.
1: Oh, my gosh. Hang on, remind me. You're, you're out... You're Adelaide. Out. Adelaide. Well, east, west. Well, it depends where, I'm, where you're talking from.
0: It'd it does. Westy.
1: I am where I am. It would be east if I was in
0: Perth. <laughs> yep.
1: And that's this morning's geography lesson for all the boys and girls.
0: <laughs> that's right. So you're well?
1: I'm very well, thank you. I'm... Um, the here in Melbourne last night which always puts a pep in my step.
0: Mm, was it good? It was good. I'm
1: I'm something of a limelight connoisseur. Um so, you know, I've seen a lot of numbers of the productions and, and this was this was n- not the greatest, not the worst, I would say it was a very good limelight.
0: Mm. What did you think of the movie?
1: I adored the movie. Really? And I know that's controversial. Yeah, but but I thought it was, um, I thought <laughs> it was, as, as a lame. I, I felt like it had been made by Les Mis fans, you know? I like suppose whether so. Whether or not it was sort of, yeah, it, it, it didn't feel like a cheap rip-off or anything like that. It actually, it actually, there was a lot of love and heart in it. So I think, for me, it came down to whether if you liked Les Mis, I thought you sort of, most people tend to think that the movie did a good job of it. If you didn't like Les Mis, fair enough, you're going to go and hate it because in the same way you'd hate the musical.
0: Mm, I suppose so. What, what did you think? I just thought it lacked something. I thought Hugh Jackman was a bit vocally weak, and then there was Russell Crowe. I mean, he was probably the worst Javert I've ever seen, so that really brought it down a bit for me.
1: Yeah, although, but Russell... Uh, see, Russell Crowe, I came out going, man, he didn't he didn't complete film, as everyone, as, you know, like, I was able to sort of just watch it, and he was just there. Mm. And I'm certainly, whilst agreeing, he wasn't, the strongest Chevare he he didn't he didn't rip the ass out of it uh, and and uh, and I'm not something I sound like I'm becoming a laney 's film you know staunch <laughs> defender which which is not my intention but but Jackman I thought really pulled it off maybe you know vocally oh, actually, I actually I'm going to say vocally as well but the sheer ferocity of his performance that only a Jackman could bring.
0: Mm. I I thought he you know he looked the part he obviously put his heart and soul into it I just thought when he was singing, uh, you know, who am I and song really big numbers he just lacked that sort of um, the the emphasis and the power that he really needed to sort of push push those notes I suppose.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. And you know when you, when you, when Cole Wilkinson setting the bar as the, the first mm. that I was on, it's it's really tricky for anyone to go anywhere after that.
0: Absolutely. Well, we better get started with the interview. I could talk about Is all day.
1: Well, yes, indeed, but you know, right. I think I think your listeners would like to know our thoughts on Lamy's casting.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure they would. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today.
1: My absolute pleasure. Hello to you and to your listeners here in the online universe.
0: Now, you're a comedian. How would you describe your style of comedy?
1: I describe it generally as. Uh, Nerdy, smutty, witty, skinny man, musical, comedy, ramblings, often alongside the puppet.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, what, and what's your favourite thing about being a comedian?
1: Um, I think... Hmm. Well, Benjamin, I'm going to break it down now. Often when you do interviews, you mm-hmm. have to decide whether to be a smart or whether to answer honestly. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean?
0: I do, yeah. Because
1: as a comedian, you just want to make people laugh. And so, often the, the honest answer is, is going to be a dull but, but interesting response, whereas the funny one, you know, so just then you ask me what my favourite thing, well, I could say, oh, I like the dead hookers, oh, you know, and we all giggle, but we don't get anything out of the interview, or I can be honest, so I, I, need, I need you to direct me here, would you, like, would you like Smartass J or would you like Honest J? bearing in mind Smartass Jay might, might, might have more subscriptions... The Honest Jay will be more worthwhile in the long run.
0: Mm. Could, could we get a combination of the Js?
1: Ah, yes, you could. Okay. I very much enjoy the artistic fulfillment that comes from all the dead hookers.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you've still got your laugh. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> so long as you keep laughing, I will keep being an idiot this morning.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Now, how would you describe your journey into the Australian limelight?
1: Oh. well... Perhaps I have to disagree with the premise first. I think the Australian limelight is a little far far off <laughs> for me. I'm um, in the live comedy world. I, I accept perhaps now that that you know I'm, I'm sort of at a point where a few people know me and so on. But but the the, the, the you know the, the glory limelight for me is still some time away. Um, but as far as the actual journey to where I am now, in a sort of dull way, just ten years now of being on the comedy circuit and trying to trying to do good stuff and learning all the usual lessons and making all the same mistakes that I think any artist does, you know, regardless of whether it's comedy or, or any other form. But for me, you know, it, the first few years of my comedy job were um, definitely my most productive. You know, I would just write so much stuff because I, I was at uni, I didn't have much else to do and I'd just be writing songs and jokes and I'd be gigging three or four times a week around Melbourne and just, just, just that... Um, opportunity to throw some stuff out there, and some of it was just appalling, and some of it was was better. And slowly, sort of whittle down what makes you uh, unique and, and why you should be doing it. So, uh, for, for me, that that feels like what well, the last ten years, and it's still it's still going. You know, where, where you are just finding out what you enjoy doing, and where that intersects with what the audience will enjoy. Because I think that's the biggest question you have to ask. You know, I mean, you, how much you're willing to bend yourself to please an audience versus what you really want to be doing yourself.
0: Absolutely. Was there ever a moment in those 10 years of, I suppose, really hard work for you that you just thought, I'm never going to make it? And what inspired you to keep going?
1: Um, Yes. And and I will say over the last few years, it it happens less and less, you know, as the sort of career progresses and you get more jobs or work coming through. I I spend a lot less time worrying now, you know, I sort of don't know what, what will be in the future, but I feel like there will be something there. But in the earlier days, yeah, absolutely. I remember one moment I just performed for a um oh one of the worst gigs of my life. It was for some do you know what a surf rider is? I don't. Yeah, neither do I. But I was I was asked <laughs> to invite at a surf riders association dinner, which I think I think that it's basically surfers. I think it's surf riding that maybe includes boogie boarding and I don't know, other horrible physical activities in the ocean. But they asked me to perform there and I was just not their comedian, you know. This was like some big blokey blokes. A lot of whom were previous – bullies from my school in the audience and it was just abysmal and you know to the point where people were sort of you know laughing over openly at me and sort of shouting when you get off and I remember I was dra- had to drag my keyboard through the room to get to the car afterwards and I was driving home in my my old Volvo and I remember that was the that that drive down the, up the Nepean Highway I was thinking man I would so loved just to be at home right now watching tv and then getting up in the morning and going and doing an office job you know that the stability and the anonymity of that would would be wonderful so yeah there's certainly been some big fat moments of doubt
0: well it's all starting to pay off and it was recently announced that you've got a tv series on the abc with your puppet counterpart randy what can you tell us about that
1: oh well yes it is very exciting um I don't know. I, I can probably tell you anything, but but I, I, I shouldn't because I don't know. I've, I've signed all sorts of contracts, but I don't read them, of course. <laughs> so, um, so I don't. I don't want this to let, land either of us in jail. But it's um, what I can tell you is it's called Ricketts Lane, which is and uh, it's a six part sitcom. Um, and so it's sort of based on our live shows. That the, the first live show we did was called Ricketts Lane. It's all about Randy and I living together. And and this is when you talk about that long sort of journey. This has been the last five years of developing it and everything, and it's really been the last couple of years that ABC came on board and then, then a production company came on board, so all the all the little dull things that, that just take a long, long time. But yeah, we're now at the point where, unless something goes horribly wrong, we're going to be filming it this year, and um, you might be able to be watching it next year, which is very exciting.
0: It will, it will be. Will they be similar to the skits you did back on Good News World?
1: They, they won't, in a word, and that's been a really interesting journey, because that was so much fun, that show, and... and was, you know, a huge opportunity for us, but because they were sort of those skits we did were in a live studio in front of a live audience, so they were very much sort of copying and pasting our live world there. Whereas with this um, this particular sitcom, where we're writing, are very much it's in the real world. You know, there's no it's going to be shot on location. There's no audience laughing. You know, which which is slightly more ambitious, and you know, we might have jumped the shark. But um, so in some ways, whereas that was the Good News World stuff was really obviously. You know, in a studio environment, this will be semi and Randy out in the real world, looking quite, looking quite serious. Hopefully, and that's sort of part of the joke that actually we're still the same two dicks, you know, mucking everything up in, in life, mm-hmm. and singing songs as well, which will be um, an extra complication.
0: Wonderful. I was wondering about that, as one of our listeners asked if it was going to be a, a musical show as well, because I know <gasps> listeners are really hoping that it'll be a musical.
1: The name. I couldn't tell. I
0: I could not tell you. Um, I some Lauren.
1: Lauren. Well, Lauren. Thank you for your listening. Thank you for your question. And um, it will indeed be musical. That's been a huge part of yeah the the challenge in working out um you know which, which of our existing songs should be in the show. And and it's turned out as we've been writing the episodes that more and more we're just writing new songs for the series, which is really exciting because they're sort of all um linked into the storyline. There's a storyline that goes right across the whole six episodes, so um, where, you know, as I said, it's quite ambitious. We would like it to be a big success or a massive failure. We don't really want to be in between.
0: Well, I'm sure it'll be a big success.
1: I'll hold you to that. (laughs) If it's not, you're in trouble.
0: Okay. well, now you're also about to head off to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, but only for one show. Why go all the way for that one show?
1: Well, because... it, it makes an interesting question to ask, you know, and, and I spend my life trying to do little gimmicks and, and cheap stunts that, that so people don't forget me, and um, I, I don't have, schedule-wise, I don't have time to do a full run at the Edinburgh Fringe, nor do I have a, a new show, to be absolutely honest, but I missed Last Year's Festival after, after doing it six years in a row, so I was really, really keen to get over there and, um, and see some friends and so on, and, and I've got another good friend who I'm visiting nearby, and... Uh, I thought, wouldn't it be funny to do one show? And wouldn't it also, maybe, Benjamin, uh, wouldn't it also possibly mean that my entire trip becomes a tax deduction if I was to do 58 minutes' work? Mm? Mm? It it
0: could certainly mean that.
1: Could. That's all I'm saying. That's Mm. all I'm saying.
0: Well, in addition to the TV show and touring, you're also conducting political interviews. What inspired you to start these live chats?
1: (laughs) Sorry, I laugh at that question because it's not often that I have my sort of career or my current, you know, life laid out before me, and it does seem very, it sounds all very silly, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I am doing political interviews, you're right, and politics has always been a huge uh, love of mine, just personally, you know, it's it's what I I love, I love lame is and Australian politics, that's pretty much my two things that I do (laughs) in my spare time, And, um, and I haven't really, I've never really combined the politics- you know, with my, with my comedy. I, did, I hosted a show on the ABC last year which was a political satire show um, but that wasn't my own sort of baby bird but, but, but that was sort of, a, I guess, in that realm. But I sort of decided that I would like to yeah, combine them properly and I thought the best way of doing that is to, is to invite some real politicians just to have a chat on stage and just see what happens. I really just... I came up with the name Sammy J's Democratic Party and then the Wheeler Centre here in Melbourne um, who were attached to the State Library... Um, foolishly agreed to host me so they sort of helped a lot with all the support and and promotion and everything and and sent out invitations and yeah we had some some politicians say yes and and come along and I've done two of them so far and um, I I really like it because it's well one I like politics and you know the the power and all everything that goes with it but secondly when you're interviewing someone live on stage it's a whole new it's like you're doing a theatre show but you don't have control of one of the other actors and you don't you can't control what lines they're going to say but I'm stuck there with my prepared questions, and, and much like you are r- right now, Benjamin, and, and and how, you know, it's sort of caroling and, and, and trying to work out where the guest is going to go and, and trying to follow them down, little rabbit warrens. But with politicians, you've got that extra thing where they can't really say what they think so much of the time, so that's been an extra little challenge.
0: Well, does that make everything a lot more difficult, Not being I mean, when they're not actually able to say what they think?
1: Mm. It, it's... um. It's certainly more challenging, but it's also quite fun because you can try and, you know, try and trick them as much as possible. And for example, I had Lindsay Tanner, former um, finance minister, last week, um, who was in the, in the Rudd government, and he's notoriously... He's known for not criticising his former colleagues, you know, when Labor the Labor parties talk, bag each other out so much, but he's always remained very tight-lipped and very diplomatic, so I thought, OK, one of my challenges is to try and get him to make, to say something bad about one of his colleagues, and so the way I did that was... I asked him um, uh, to reply true or false to whether or not Bill Shorten would make an adequate Prime Minister, true or false. And that meant that whatever he said, it sounded like it was a criticism. <laughs> <laughs> he either, either would make an adequate Prime Minister or he wouldn't. So um, it was fun watching him try and sort of extricate himself from that. Mm. So I do I do like a challenge.
0: And what preparation do you put in for the chats?
1: Um c- quite a lot actually i've learned it's sort of it's really bringing out my sort of u12 nerd side you know because i'm going up against i have a lot of respect for politicians in terms of the amount of knowledge that they have and how many issues they have to be across and so um i just you know i just don't want to be up on stage looking like a complete dick um i would like to look like a moderate dick but not a complete one so i uh spent a lot of time researching um in the, in the case of Lindsay Tanner, just going back over previous interviews of his, and then if he says something of interest, I'll follow that up as well and read his book and so on. I mean, I'm only one person and I don't, you know, have a great attention span, so I, I could always do more. But I found it really helped me because I had my list of questions that I've prepared. But then as soon as he goes off on a tangent, you know, hopefully I'll, I'm able to follow that up with some level of knowledge or at least knowing what he's referring to rather than having to ask him for, you know, more clarification.
0: Mm. And how do you convince your guests that you're taking it seriously as a comedian
1: well very good question and so this 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 will be of no interest to all interstate listeners um but here in victoria the victorian parliament is currently hung you know there's one guy who holds the balance of power his name's jeff shaw from the town of frankston my hometown and um so that's been really dramatic and he was my first um political guest and he actually turned up the, the week that He threatened to bring down the government, so it was all really dramatic. And I accidentally landed this this scoop of an interview, and and um because he's renowned for being quite I guess volatile in interviews. Exactly what you say. I I was I was really unsure of, you know, you're going to be there for an hour with them, and it could be awkward. So I sort of worked very hard in the early on just to make him comfortable by having a few laughs and doing some, you know, sort of games, basically. And and my approach, and this is I'm very new to this, Benjamin. So we'll see how it goes. But my approach is just to you know try and make them as relaxed and comfortable as early as possible so that then they trust me and they know that I know what I'm talking about even though I'm a comedian, I'm still going to let them speak and and not just there to take cheap shots at them because it would be awkward if you're just making fun of them to their faces for an hour it would just be really weird and awkward
0: It most certainly would Now as an interviewer I know the trials and tribulations of getting guests on the show and you get some pretty nasty rejections What's (sighs) the worst fun you've ever had?
1: My uh, So for the political shows um, uh, and, and thankfully the whole agent thing, you know, there is a slight buffer because the Wheeler Centre are the ones officially sending out the invitations on my behalf. So I suspect, in fact, I know they've shielded me from the worst responses, but they did say a former Prime Minister had responded uh, very um, creatively uh, and rather, um, if not viciously, then very firmly sort of implying that... I think the message was why on earth would I... I'm the former Prime Minister of Australia. Why would I want to sit on stage with a skinny ass and be subjected to ridicule for an hour. And I, I won't say who he was other than to say he came just before John Howard and just after Bob Hawke.
0: <laughs> not that that's specific at all. No, no. <laughs> now, who, who's up next for the uh, the next live chat? Oh,
1: my hands are tied. I, I do know, but this is... but, but the, It's not been announced yet, so I'm not allowed to say, but I, I will say that... I will say that I've got someone from the uh, federal Abbott government coming to join me. Okay. and And that she... He's not a man.
0: Very interesting. If anyone
1: is listening and would like to know my secret mystery guest, just head to uh, willacenter.com or um, my Facebook page, uh, and as soon as it's announced, you shall know.
0: Now, you're also on tour with Randy to launch your difficult first album. Where can listeners see you next?
1: Well, at the moment, we're actually going into hibernation um, for this TV show that we speak of. So really... Um, they can't see us anywhere at all for a long, long time, <laughs> but hopefully it'll be worth it. Um, hopefully the next time they can see us is on their TV screens next year, to be absolutely honest.
0: So does that mean you're not sort of doing the Fringe and all the festival tours next year?
1: No, yes. Well, yes, it's still it's still up in the air. I'm thinking about doing a solo show. Um, Randy and I often do our own solo things when when the scheduling suits because it's just easier to coordinate sometimes if we split up and and have our own shows, and particularly with our own stuff, you know, I've been collecting a few new songs over the last year or two and they haven't been in the show, so I, I will have a new show to bring to Adelaide, and um, I'd rather do that than nothing. But, again, it, it sort of is all, all the focus is turning to this little, the little black box in everyone's living rooms for now, and once that happens, then we'll sort of regroup, you know, and, um, and, and make hopefully bigger and better touring plans off the back of that.
0: Mm. Now, what are the difficulties in working with a puppet? Uh, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Benjamin. Randy's just a
1: regular dude. <laughs> I mean, he happens to be a, you know, a selfish bastard, but that's, that's unrelated.
0: <laughs> well, another interesting concept that you've also got on the go is the 50-year show. Would you like to explain that concept to our listeners?
1: Certainly. Um, this is my... This is my um, you have to cut me off if I get too excited because this is like my passion project, Benjamin. This is my big thing. This is my oh. life's work. It started in 2008 I had the idea to start a comedy show that goes for for 50 years and I thought well I can't do it every night that's that's you know too much of an imposition. I wouldn't even be able to have a family or or, or see friends if I did that and once a year I thought oh, that's a bit that's a bit boring you know that's once a year is sort of too too frequent still every 4 years like the world cup no still still not ambitious enough so I made it once every 5 years one show every 5 years until 2058 and I started in 2008 and then we had the second show last year And it's a one-night event only here in Melbourne, and basically it's sort of like a live sketch show. It's made up of lots of different segments, such as the 50-year joke and the 50-year dance and the 50-year crossword, and um, all of them are little bits that end with a to-be-continued, and then we continue that segment five years later. So, for example, in that first show, Adam Hills got on stage and pulled out the crossword from that day's Australian newspaper, and he had five minutes to try and get as many words with the audience's help that he could, and then at the end of that five minutes, the timer went off, and he put it into the, the time capsule, and then... Five years later, Lawrence Lung got off stage last year and he continued the same crossword. And so we're going to see if we can finish that crossword in the next 50 years or in the next 44 years now. Um, I started the show with a dance with um, a few five-year-old girls and then they all turned 10 and they came back and did the same dance with me last year and they're, all their uh, the, the, the younger selves are broadcast behind us on a big screen. It's just some really stupid stuff, but it's um, the, the cast is sort of growing every time. I think we've got about 25 different guest comedians in it. Um, it's... There's a YouTube link, if you search for a 50-year show, which explains it a lot better than I can verbally, but it's um, it's a really great, fun show, and it's sort of, when you ask whether I you know, have plans for the future or whether I'm nervous or whether my career will stay around, that's sort of my other reason for doing it. At least whatever happens, I've always got a date in the calendar, you know, a few years away.
0: Well, do you think in 50 years' time you'll still be able to do, well, 44 years' time, you'll still be able to do the opening dance routine?
1: Well, it's a very good question, um, and I invite you to join me on the journey to, to see my... My aging body uh, crumble, but it's what well, I'll be seventy five. I'll be seventy five years old when it finishes, and I've seen some sprightly, sprightly seventy five year olds.
0: Mm. It should be certainly interesting to see how it turns out. Mm. Now, what would be your ideal project?
1: Mm. Well, the honest answer at the moment, because so far, in, in, so much in my head is is mm, creating a TV show with with, with my best friend Randy. Um, that's sort of where we've been heading for the last few years and and really getting excited about. So at the moment, that is my ideal project. But in terms of future things that I'd like to do, I would would really like to write a play. I'd like to write a play um, that doesn't have music in it, just as a fun challenge because I'm so reliant on my music and all my stuff and I know that that form so well. Um, So I'm interested in the challenge in, in getting rid of that and seeing what my words are like. And conversely and to that, I, I would like to write a musical as well, <laughs> which is just all music and um, maybe something that I'm not even in, something I could step back and, and, you know, watch from afar. So, yeah, they're, they're sort of both on the to-do list.
0: Well, they're sort of very, very similar but also quite different things that um, would be interesting to see what you'd achieve with us.
1: Yes, and also they're both in the live world, which I, I realise as I say it out loud that, you know, the live world is still where, I'm, you know, that's sort of my job and that, that's where I feel at home and... and TV and, and whatever else it comes along and goes, but it's a fickle mistress. Whereas, mm. you know, I think a live theatre audiences will always exist. It's, it's unlike anything else. It's not like the internet or TV. You know, you're in the room, sharing the same energy, and, and I think that's a precious thing.
0: Absolutely. Now, which show have you found the most difficult to perform?
1: Uh, of my own shows.
0: Well, just any show you've performed in, what's been the most difficult?
1: I wrote a show uh, five years ago called 1999, which was all about my school days, um, and that was a, 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 that was it was difficult because it was it was a, it was like me on my own. It was a big monologue with songs and everything, but it was fairly heavy. I look back and it was all like about you know bullying and all this sort of stuff, and I think it creeped a few of the audiences out. Um, but it also required a lot of concentration because I was sort of the fourth wall was up the whole time. I wasn't talking to the audience. I was. I was sort of playing at a few different characters and, and all that sort of thing. and So I remember I had to sort of concentrate a lot with those ones um, beforehand. Whereas, you know, with Randy and I, when we're together, we'll still concentrate, but we're just hanging out being idiots for an hour, which is, which is great fun. So, yeah, some of my sort of theatrical solo stuff has been probably the most challenging.
0: And within your shows, do you have a, a method or technique that you use when an audience just isn't clicking with you?
1: Yeah, well you know, go and write a better show is the first thing I try to do. Um, but if it's happening on the actual, in, in the moment, it's a really tricky line because, you know, all comedians have different responses. And sometimes, you you know, if if a joke's gone really badly and you point it out, often that'll get a good laugh and you can move on, you know. But if the whole show is not really firing, it can do it can be bad to sort of point out and say, hey, this isn't really working because <laughs> because that can just make things worse. So, look, for me, I sort of, Sometimes you just have to battle on, even if you know that people aren't really digging at heaps. A lot of my stuff is, is, is very planned and scripted, particularly if you're singing a song, you can't really change much then. So, to an extent, I've sort of got a philosophy of look, some people in the world will like what I do and some people won't, and I can't choose those ratios. So, you know, just just move on and, and do your thing. Um, but in the moment, I, you know, wherever possible, I do try and talk to the audience and get them involved because I think. That's what, as I was talking about live stuff, that's what sets it apart. You know, you can actually respond there, and audiences love it when they know that something is happening just for them, that it's the, it's a unique moment. And so try to find those moments. You know, even if someone has a stupid laugh and you point it out, you know, it can really bring a lot of people back in, you know, and, and make people enjoy themselves.
0: Mm. Now, with your live shows, do you have a favourite song or even a crowd pleaser that you always like to pull out?
1: Hmm. The last few years. Do you have a do you have a, a, a language warning on this podcast, Benjamin? Uh,
0: no, no, um, we're we're good to say you can say whatever you like.
1: <laughs> well, well, I have a song called "Keep It Clean," which is better known as the F***, <laughs> and it's all about the F word and 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 why it shouldn't be considered as offensive as as, as it is uh, very relevant in Adelaide because Barry Humphreys, I understand, has proposed banning it for the next Cabaret Festival. Yes. Um, so that's that, that's that, that's the song that I, I performed. Times and, and even though I say the F word so often in the song, it really never offends anyone because it's sort of quite a sort of d- discussion about the word. And um, so that's a sort of surefire, you know, that, that's also, that's one I'll perform a lot because audiences always respond really well. Um, but as far as my own personal favourite song, I also have a song called Delete, which is much more of a sort of ballad that I do about what's going to happen to all our computer files when we die. And uh, that's probably my personal favourite song. Um, that I enjoy doing, but it's got to be the right crowd. It doesn't necessarily work in a sort of boozy pub environment. Mm.
0: Well, the listeners knew you were coming on, well, some of the listeners knew you were coming on today, and they posed a few questions. Now, the first one from Brad is, when will The Inheritance be released on DVD?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Brad, 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 as I talk to you right now, I can swipe to my desktop and I can see a file, and it's called Inheritance MP4. Now, that is the file you want, Brad, that is the file you want, but how we get you that file, that is the big million dollar question because Randy and I just aren't very good technically. Like We could just put it on a website, I guess, but then where's the money, Brad? Are you going to give us a million dollars? No, no you're not. So, well, we could create a DVD out of it, Brad, but that's a lot of effort, it's a lot of effort to do that and DVDs notoriously don't make money in this environment. So. We're still wrestling with how to get that little file that I can see right now as I'm speaking, how to get that to you, Brad, but I promise you at some point, you're going to get it. I just don't know how. I just don't know how.
0: <laughs> well, I hope I hope that answers Sorry, your question Brad. for the moment, Brad. <laughs> now, uh, Sarah wants to know, is there a future for Wednesday Night Fever?
1: Is there a future for Wednesday Night Fever? No, is the <laughs> is the answer. Um, it's going to be blunt, you know, and... and um, but the reason for that is, well, several different reasons. Um, and uh, the first the first thing is it's not my decision and it's nothing to do with me. In fact, Wednesday Night Fever was, was a, a production that, that I was asked to host. All the other, the other rest of the cast were all already assembled and I sort of came in at the last, not the last minute, but very late in the piece when they were looking for a host and had a lot of fun. But it was sort of, so decisions like that are sort of not up to me. They're really up to the network. The other interesting thing is that the creator of um, Wednesday Night Fever, uh, Rick Kulowski, went on. Um, to become the head of comedy at the ABC so I still see him quite a lot but he's he was really the the the, the creator of that show very much and the head writer and so sort of the the, you know it's like the parent being taken away then you don't really you can't have another child of the same format so there was some discussion of it coming back but I also think personally I think it it arrived at a really nice time before the last election you know and politically there was a lot of energy in the air and it was addressing a particular uh, need at, at the time but I know at the moment, I'm not sure whether it would have the same sort of role to play. So, yeah, it it was a bit of a um, a delightful one-series romp. But hopefully, whatever happens next on TV will be uh, equally or more enjoyable.
0: Wonderful. Now, the most popular question that I got in was that iTunes doesn't have your first two albums. Where can people download them from? Mm.
1: Well, to those people, I would say this. I can swipe across my desktop and I can see those two albums in my iTunes account. I'm looking at them right now. And over my dead body will I submit the world to that second-rate, horrible uh, recordings. Although, there's a few songs on it that I don't mind. There's a song called Pens and a song called The Pedantic Visitor. But beyond that, there was some pretty woeful stuff. Perhaps I should package them up, Benjamin, into a sort of the early years edition, Mm. special iTunes edition.
0: That could work. A lot of other artists do it and make tons.
1: Well, yeah, but... And everyone hates them for it. That's the thing. I don't want to be that guy. I'd rather... I sort of believe that maybe you should just put out your... You know, your only the stuff that you really want the world to hear. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at this... Uh, yeah, there's some pretty poor songs there. There's some pretty poor songs. So maybe I'll wait a little longer. But, but you know, feel free to... If, if someone really pesters me on Facebook or something, I might relent. I'm, I'm nothing if not flexible and... Desperate to Please.
0: Well, there you go, listeners. If you pester Sammy J <laughs> enough on Facebook, the albums could potentially be released.
1: <laughs> Featuring a, a duet with Benjamin and Sammy J. That's, the, that's the caveat. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, over the, over the interview, you've sort of talked about things that you've got lined up, but could you just sort of summarise that for our listeners?
1: Uh, certainly. Well, um, okay, my life at the moment, I'm doing a series of political interviews Uh, here in Melbourne, although they are available um, at the Wheeler Centre website all around the world. You can go and watch the previous ones that I've done and one's coming up. I'm also preparing uh, for my next 50-year show, which will be in four years' time and continues for the next half century. I'm also um, working and preparing to film a television sitcom with Randy by the name of Ricketts Lane, uh, about which I can't say much more, but hopefully uh, it'll be something that our fans enjoy more than anyone else, You know, even if it's only our fans. We want it to be a really stupid, quirky, weird little number, and so I um, hope that it's worth the wait.
0: Wonderful. Now, finally, what advice have you got to anyone who's looking to become a comedian?
1: Don't do it. Save yourself. Just, just get out while you can. Live a good life. Enjoy your self-esteem and your sense of normality.
0: Protect your health. Stay the f- away. <laughs> so more of a warning to possible comedians...
1: <laughs> Yes. it's uh, Yes. Don't do it. Seriously, don't do it. Take it from me. I'm only 31. I feel like I'm 78 years old. Just get out. Go. Shoot. I also have a vested interest in stopping people from becoming comedians because that's, you know, eating into my market share. I I would prefer to be the only comedian in the world. Then people would have no choice but to find me funny.
0: Well, you'd make a bit more money then. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today and uh, talking to me.
1: It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad that um, I didn't do a Stephen Fry uh, and say no. And thank you for your questions as well. And thank you to your listeners. That's that's lovely to have some questions.
0: Well, thank you very much. And good luck with all your future projects.
1: Cheers, sir. I'll see you in Adelaide shortly.
0: See you in Adelaide. Bye-bye. Bye. That was my chat with Sammy J. Now, as I mentioned, I also talked to Adelaide Monopoly's Matt Chan. Here's that interview. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Matt, and thank you for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Now, you work with uh, Monopoly, and specifically we're here to talk about Adelaide Monopoly today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you've launched this uh, on the 28th of October. Mm -hmm. Now, where did the inspiration come to make an Adelaide Monopoly?
2: Well, it was really up to Mr Monopoly. So he was actually here in April to make the announcement, and he invited the members of the public to provide us with suggestions of which... Adelaide icons, landmarks and attractions you would like to see replace the classic property squares on his board. So we were very proud to be uh, at the iconic Mall's Balls at Rundle Mall um, to make them de launch, unveil the product and and show everyone, show the shoppers of Adelaide and people of Adelaide what the Adelaide Monopoly board looks like. And now you mentioned that you've got uh, people's
0: input to choose the squares. Mm -hmm. How did you go about getting their input?
2: So when Mr Monopoly made the announcement back in April, he invited everyone, members of the public, to provide us suggestions via email, via Adelaide Monopoly Facebook page and we spent a lot of time here in Adelaide speaking to the locals. We spoke to as many locals as we can just to get the feedback of who, what and what, yeah, really what places they wanted to see in particular, feature on Mayfair and Park Lane boards. Well, you mentioned Mayfair and Park
0: Lane, and our listeners are dying to know what ended up on those highly coveted squares.
2: And we were, we were excited to announce that Adelaide Oval was the Mayfair of the board. You know, have given the history of of Adelaide Oval, you know, to South Australian and South Australian sport, and also having the Stones here play over the weekend. It was only fitting that Adelaide Oval was featured on the board. Uh, Park Lane was Rundle more mm-hmm. so as tri- traditional Park Lane squares replaced by. The most like, f- famous shopping center in Adelaide. Absolutely.
0: And what, what else are some of the uh, iconic Adelaide features that have made the board?
2: So we've tried to keep it and a fair representation of all aspects of Adelaide life. So from your arts and culture, so the Art Gallery of South Australia, your Adelaide Festival, your uh, places of interest, that is, you know, your fruit shock shop, the the Harndor Farm Barn, um, through to the Sumner Building, the Holy Trinity Church can't deny that you know adelaide is recognized the city of churches so we're proud to have holy trinity church on the board um through to Glenelg beach uh, through to adelaide zoo and the like so it is a great spread of adelaide and must see experiences i think absolutely
0: now you mentioned you've actually used specific shops like uh, the fruit shop shop for example mm-hmm. how
2: do you go about approaching the companies to ask their permission to be on the board it is one of those things, again, you know, having the feedback from all the, the community and, and from the locals, um, it is then about going to the particular people to say, you know, we've listened to um, the opportunity and, and we've list- the people have spoken in regards to wanting to have you know, the food truck shop, for example, featured on the board. Mm.
0: Now, obviously... You've, you've done Adelaide. Are you mm-hmm. planning to expand further to do other states around Australia?
2: Look, absolutely. As we said in the, in the press conference at uh, the launch, we invite the public um, to let us know which Australian city you would want to be next. So we've had today, obviously, Adelaide, um, and, and we've asked everyone to, to email us via info at au, just in regards to which Australian city that you wanted to see next. And what made you decide to pick Adelaide over you know, Melbourne or Sydney or Perth? Look, again, it was totally up to Mr. Monopoly. When he rolled the dice earlier this year, he decided, you know what, Adelaide will be immortalised this year with his very own board. And, you know, we've been hard at work since to make it happen. And uh, we're very proud here to be sitting here, launched, product is in stores as of today. Um, And uh, we're we're very happy with the product and the feedback that we received. Absolutely. Now, where can our listeners purchase Adelaide Monopoly? Yeah, so we can purchase it from the likes of Big W, Toys R Us, Toy World, ABC Stores, Australian Drake, and good toy retailers across the state.
0: Now obviously it's I suppose specifically made available in Adelaide, mm-hmm. now for Monopoly collectors around the world who a couple have contacted us, wow. are they able to purchase the game from in- overseas and interstate?
2: Yeah look ab- absolutely, uh, there is opportunity, so we do have, and Winning Moves has a transactional website as well, so Adelaide Monopoly would be for sale um, for interstate and certainly overseas.
0: Now you mentioned your company Winning Moves, mm-hmm. what else have you got in the pipeline?
2: Look, we do as, a, as a, we're a licensee of Hasbro, so we look after the, and manage and produce their the licensed regional and custom editions of Deluxe Monopoly. So we've got many things. We've just launched, for example, the V8 Supercars Monopoly. Uh, we've also had a launch uh, earlier this month of the AFL Monopoly. So we've got many things that are that are sort of brewing, and, and, and we'll, just, we'll definitely see it out in the stores very shortly.
0: Now, obviously, Monopoly is a much-loved, iconic game, and a lot of people would already own the original. Mm -hmm. Uh, How would you encourage people to go out and buy the specific version?
2: Look, I I think it's a a great celebration of of all aspects of of this great city, Um, and you will see the difference. You absolutely see the difference in store in terms of um, comparing to traditional Monopoly, which is based on London streets, through to this Adelaide Monopoly, which is a theme board, So you would see visually the difference. And, and, you know, from our perspective, it's very compelling to have the images of the icons on each square, for example, Mm. which is what we didn't have in the traditional Monopoly square.
0: And also, I suppose, there are the community chest and Mm -hmm. chance cards. Have they also been altered to, uh, I suppose, adapt to the Adelaide setting?
2: Yeah, look, we've we've certainly had a bit of fun with uh, those community chest and chance cards. Um, For example, you know, they're... If mean, there is a car that's pop-up roadworks, make you late for work, pay $50. Um, or you, you're you caught speeding 61 in a 60 zone, pay $100. So stuff like that, we try to keep it a, a real bit of fun aspect mm-hmm. and really obviously relevant to, to Adelaide and Adelaide um, and people.
0: Now, how would you sell the game to someone who'd never heard of Monopoly before?
2: Well, that's a tough question, isn't it? It is something that, you know, families and friends can sit around a table... And, and play, you know, a game that is, um, I guess, universal. It is a game that everyone knows and loves. You know, 600 million people play around the world in 111 countries and in 43 different languages. So it is it is something, certainly a game, that you can engage with your family and friends. Your grandparents can play with their children and, and grandchildren alike. Um, and it's just about spending quality time, you know, just trying to buy up all the properties in the squares and, and eliminate <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and it is a great deal of fun, and as you mentioned, it is on sale as of today. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ben. That was my chat with Matt Chan from earlier this week. Now, Rojo has a ton of new releases out, including The Honourable Woman, The Bletchley Circle, Seasons 1 and 2, and Season 2 just sold separately, 7,500, which is a a movie set on an aeroplane, so a little bit scary, that one, Misfits Series 1 to 5, the box set of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, the box set of Time of Our Lives, and Jack Irish box set, so a ton of fantastic Australian drama to, to get involved in, uh, The Inspector Lindley mystery Series 5, River Street Season 1 and 2, Life After Beth, Derek, Series 2, and Quirk. So there are uh, some wonderful new series out, and there's a whole lot more to come over the rest of the year. And if you want me to pick some of my favourites from that collection... Uh, Ripper Street season 1 and 2, I am a huge fan of the the period drama set in Whitechapel uh, around, or just after the time of the Jack the Ripper murders, and uh, some of them can be quite quite gory and intense, but they are very well written crime dramas with really strong characters, and I actually, uh, earlier in the year, I talked to Jerome Flynn, who's one of the leads on that show, so be sure to check out that interview. And also, there's a ton of new films out, thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. I've reviewed some of those, and as always, the full reviews of any of the ones I mention are available on the website. The first movie for today is the comedy, This Is Where I Leave You. Now, this film had a great cast and a lot of potential, but sadly, it just leaves you wondering the point of the previous 90 minutes, and I gave that one two and a half stars. Now, the next film I checked out was National Theatre Live's Skylight, and Carrie Mulligan and Bill Nighy shine in this current production of David Hare's Skylight. It is absolutely superb, the acting is just astounding, and there are encore screenings happening all over the country right now. And the final movie I checked out this podcast is the astonishingly superb war movie, Fury. It has a brilliant cast, a fantastic script, and wonderful cinematography. While it is quite graphic on many occasions, it is absolutely worth some of the the shudder moments, and I gave that one five stars. And as I mentioned, all of these reviews, plus a whole lot more, are available in full on my website, preacherspodcast.net. And I'd like to thank our supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Palace Nova Cinemas, Roadshow Entertainment, and madman entertainment and you can find all of their details in the show notes for this podcast or on the website i've been your host benjamin mckay and next podcast so our second november podcast very excitingly i have on the show internationally acclaimed and best-selling author matthew riley and he's on the show to discuss his new book the great zoo of china i've been your host benjamin mckay see you next time